Released on Sunday, September 18, 2016. This Agile Life, episode 118, In the Wheelhouse. This episode of This Agile Life is brought to you by Agile Dev East, the premier industry conference for Agile development professionals. To find out more, go to adceast.techwell.com. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello and welcome to a special edition of This Agile Life. Lunch with the hosts. The hosts that are here today are Amos King and Craig Buchek, along with me, Jan Sextra. I'm glad you said today. It's almost this morning, and <laughs> I've already been giving crap because I'm drinking a beer before noon. Before noon, it's 11:30. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't drink water and have a pick for Joe at the end of the podcast. So I a had beer to have pick. a beer, beer pick. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I can't even remember what it's called. It's, it's, it's eight percent alcohol, though. We Go, remember that. Space right. Ghost, eight and a half. Space Dust, Space, Space, dust. Space dust. dust IPA. Uh, Elysian, Elysian, Elysium, Elysian. I can't pronounce things. I just I go with it. This is why Elysium. This is why I drink beer be instead wrong. of wine most of the time. Is because I can never actually order the wine again because I don't actually know how to pronounce it. any of it. <laughs> I just don't like. I like wine. the peanut. Pinot Guarnet. Okay, why don't we talk about something agile later? So, what, well, I, what's I, going on? I because think that we're doing lunch this. is agile. And I mean, I waited until the absolute last responsible moment to make my order, as always. Sure. It was the la- it was the first irresponsible <laughs> moment. I, I think I coined that the other day, didn't I? Yes, you did. It was the first irresponsible moment, which is right after the last responsible moment. There's a very fine line there. It's why are you guys down, Why are you guys here with me in person? Today. Uh, because I missed you and I wanted to give you a hug. What's the real reason? Uh, <laughs> because you had my People Work Here t-shirt and I couldn't get it without meeting you. That's right. <laughs> but I gave that to you last night at the Ruby meetup. Well, but we had already planned it today and it would have been really heinous of me to cancel on you. Oh, I got my t-shirt. Thanks, John. See you, see you next year. <laughs> so we're co-located for the podcast today. Yes. We're so rarely instead co-located. Just, instead of distributed, today we're co-located. Maybe we should talk about that as a topic, our lunchtime topic. So you might hear us gnashing on food, and you might hear background noise, and that's because we're at a restaurant recording this. But we're trying this out for our, our when we go down to uh, Agile Dev East, we're trying out the microphones in a, in a public setting to see how well things work out. Yeah, as long as I can get John to quit tapping on my microphone, it'll probably be okay. <laughs> I so, promise not to tap your microphone anymore. So I, I think that we should give a little shout out to where we are. We're at uh, uh, the Wheelhouse Restaurant, um, which is a block down from Bush Stadium in St. Louis on uh, Spruce Street. Yeah. So if you're heading out to, a, if you're in in for um, what's the conference next week? Uh, Agile Gravy? No. Strange Loop. Strange Loop. Yeah. If you're, if you're in town for Strange Loop, um, maybe you head over here and, and have a drink and. Uh, don't tell them this Agile Life sent you because they won't know who we are anyway. Sadly, this probably won't get released until after the conference. It'll get released on Sunday. That's after the conference. Oh. Why don't we just <laughs> release it tonight? Because we have a, we have a cadence. <clears throat> Sustainable really? pace. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do the production work on it. <laughs> that's, that's why I want to release it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 
You should do the work, John, to release it tonight for us. I see. That's uh, what I always do. So this microphone, I'm hoping also on my trip uh, to co-locate with uh, some some listeners in London and Ireland. I'll have this microphone. So if you're there, prepare to uh, at least at least say your name and hello. Uh, we don't have to have any serious conversations if you don't want to. The last thing we actually released on this Agile Life stream was the Amos King special public service announcement Ooh. of your trip to the UK. Yeah, I gotta have a tax write-off somehow. On my trip there, right? I think you've accomplished <laughs> that. You now have sufficient evidence for the IRS. Except, <laughs> except you just admitted that it was just a sham write-off. So now you've ruined everything. It, it's not. It's, it's advertising. Ah, okay. <laughs> We should take a picture of you and Craig in your This Agile Life t-shirts and post that along with the, I was told uh, we would image. all be wearing these t-shirts. Yeah. Mine's in the car. I'll go put it on. We'll take a picture together right. after the podcast. Sounds good. So you have that to look forward to as a picture of Craig, Amos, and I in our, in our People Work Here t-shirts. The Maybe gray. We'll, the new gray ones, not the old blue ones. No, the new the new Heather I, Gray. I really like the new shirts. So much so that the old shirt, I did not buy one for my wife. This one I bought one for my wife that I plan on forcing her to wear. <laughs> Which really means begging her to wear at least once. <laughs> it's, a good, it's, a good, uh, it's a good promotional item for you to have her wearing the shirt around. People can we'll ask we'll see if she'll wear it in London. Right. Anyway, we might, location. Yeah. So, so one thing that I've noticed is that normally our BS doesn't last as long at the beginning of the podcast. As it does when we're in person. I, I was thinking the same thing, that when you're in person, you shoot the shit more. But I, I would but shooting the shit a little more is, is not a bad thing, right? Because it helps build camaraderie. Um, and, and that is one thing. I work mostly remote now. And building camaraderie is a whole lot harder whenever you're remote. And sometimes I feel like our meetings go a little longer because I force conversation that isn't meeting-focused so that we can build that trust and camaraderie and get to know each other outside of, of the work environment. Um, and the other thing that I often try to do being remote in order to build that camaraderie is when you know some teams will go out bowling or go out for a drink at, after work or something like that to, to help get to know each other. Since we're co or since we're um, remote a lot, I actually do online gaming. I actually use company funds to buy an online game because my team all said that's the game they wanted to play. Your your company funds, not the client's company funds. I hope. Oh no, not the client's okay. company funds. Good to know. But it is to to help build that team. So if you're a remote team, that's like one good thing that you can do. Can you tell us what the game is that you use? Uh. Well, we played League of Legends for a little while, which is free to download, and then um, we played Diablo 3. A couple of us played Diablo 3 a lot, uh, mainly because League of Legends, the time frame, sometimes we would play like before a morning meeting, and we actually did ditch a few people on League of Legends in the middle of a game, so our ratings probably are not good, yeah. Yeah. Um, because we had to get to a meeting, right? where Diablo... You know, you, you can, can just, start and stop. You, you can start and stop at any time. Um, at, at one point, we actually did Diablo has hardcore characters that when they die, they're dead for good. And I got this from when I worked at the place you work at, John Asynchrony. Um, 
is that we used to play at lunch, and if anybody's character died, we had a hardcore character, everybody had to start their characters over, which actually was like a good thing to help with teamwork, yeah. um, because it forced you to act as a team in the game as well as in the real world, but it can be painful for a team. Some people are like, I can't do that, because they, they feel like if they put a bunch of time into this character, and the character gets killed, that... Nobody wants to delete their original or start over, and that person's angry. So uh, it didn't work out on, on my current team to do hardcore characters, but uh, we still we still work together, learn a lot. Now, you guys have both worked on remote teams, and I am just now um, having the experience of having a team that's remote, or the people on a team that are remote where we work in the same time zone. I've worked with people that are uh, like half a world away, you know, that sort of outsourcing sort of remote work. But being working on like same stuff at the same time, have you guys found it's, it's been easier to do that when everyone is remote, like in their own remote locations? Or is it better when you have like small groups or large, maybe even larger groups where you might have a group here in St. Louis, a group in... Texas or something. I like having people in roughly the same time zone. Uh, right now, I do quite a bit of remote work for a company that's two hours behind me, which is kind of fantastic in the morning when I first get in. You get to sleep me, in. I, yes, I can sleep in if I need to, or if uh, I, I needed to finish up something or prepare a presentation, and it's kind of a nice time, but at the same time, I really miss the fact that I'm not pairing with people all day. Um, and it is also kind of nice that I can leave something with somebody at the end of the day. It's my turn to go, and they still have two hours left to work. And I can say, hey, how about you work on that in the morning? I'll I'll try to catch up. Here comes our food. Oh, that looks fantastic. Now, so I, I will... So time zone is a good is a good thing to consider. But what about like well the end of the day though, I wanna I wanna stress this point too, is that if you work in a different time zone and you don't adjust your time schedule to meet theirs, then um, at the end of the day sometimes also I am good, thank you. Uh, an hour after you've left work, since people are still working, you start getting you, you more frequently get phone calls after work than you did. When, than you do if you're working with somebody in your time zone or, yeah. or if they're ahead of you. Ahead of you is also great because I get up early in the morning and then at the end of the day, everybody's gone it and might, I can take off early. We might want to talk about time zone, setting time zone relative boundaries, but the, I think the, the real question, so the real question I was driving at was, is it better to have, if everybody is remote, is if it's a remote team, if it's a remote team, is it better to have everybody remote or pockets of people in, like, groups and also remote? Like, it's better five people here, five people there, that's sort of thing. It's better for everyone to be remote. Otherwise, people will have hallway conversations, impromptu conversations, make decisions that only involve half the team or less. Well, and there's already a natural tendency, especially as teams get larger, to have clicks and groups that start to form. So if you have a, a team that's remote and has pockets, there are natural clicks that are already there. Because I'm going to befriend 
the person who's closest to me long before I, I'm friends with the person who's far away. Um, and, and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if, I think if you have pockets, you need to have the, instead of once a year getting together or something like that, you should have get-togethers if you have remote teams, right. period. And don't make them for work, make them for, for growing as a team and getting a tighter bond. Don't expect work to get done. Um, or more work. Expect less work whenever you pull them together is important. But if you have like groups that are co-located as part of the wider team, then I think you need to get together way more often. See, I, I, I agree with you guys. or I'm learning that I agree with your, your point of view on this. And especially, Craig, what you were saying about if there's groups, that decisions get made in those pockets. Yep. And the other thing that happens is there's pockets of understanding as well. And then there's pockets of, as a result, there's also pockets of misunderstanding. Yes. Right? We, we, thought, it, we thought it worked this way, and when we talked about it, we talked about it working that way, and then somebody from another, the other location says, oh, no, it doesn't work that way at all. Right? Or I didn't know anything about what you talked about. Yeah. Even, even when you are not doing those remote talks, like the small groups talking to each other, we use Slack a lot um, at my, my current work, but every one of them that I've worked remote, we've used some kind of uh, asynchronous chat software. And I think it's really important that even if it's in chat, is that the written word loses a lot that you think you're conveying, but you're not, unless you're very, very careful, and then you're writing paragraphs upon paragraphs of information. Is that have the written word is, is there to augment you talking. So it's a good place to like have a conversation and then write that into the Slack. Or if you're having a conversation in Slack and it seems to extend past a little short question, jump online and visibly see each other. And yeah. And then put that back into Slack or back into your storyboard is also a good place to store that. I'll go, I'll go ahead and give my pick now since you already gave your pick of your Space Dust Space IPA. Dust. Um, my pick for the, the show is this thing called Perch. And it's an app for iOS. It's an app mainly focused on iPads. And on our team, we have so a you number... you can't use it, Craig? I have an iPad. <laughs> oh, you have an iPad? Oh, just not an iPhone. We have a number of uh, iPads that we have distributed. We have some in, in our location here. We have some in our other location. And these these serve as what, what are called portals within Perch. So we might have one that's sitting on this desk and one that's sitting on that desk. And if, if at any time you want to talk to somebody... You just touch the, the screen for that portal, that particular portal. Like, there might be a portal for Amos. There might be a portal for Craig. If I want to talk to Amos, I touch the iPad on the Amos portal, and it starts, right away, starts a conversation with you. John, I love you. Video? Video. I, I Video and audio. That is, like, seriously, we could talk a whole podcast about that. That seems to be, like, the best remote thing I've ever heard of. I want it now, and I want my entire team to have one too. So, I when, when you are remote, <laughs> video is super important. Yeah. Yes. If you're on a hangout, don't hide your video. Have let's a break, let break talk. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, that that is a big thing for me. So, when you are remote pairing, and hopefully when you're remote, you're always pairing. Or yes, as much as possible, especially when core hours. Um, so that's one thing you should have when you're have a distributed team is you should have core hours um, where you expect the whole team to be online. 
um, which is probably at least four, if not six hours of the day. Um, and those core hours, you should be pairing about 100%. Um, but having video so you can see each other's facial expressions is important. It's about as close as you can get to being co-located as far as conveying uh, visual, non-verbal cues. Um, so what I've seen work the best is having a completely separate screen for that video conversation, whether that's Perch or Google Hangouts or whatever, and then a separate screen for uh, hopefully shared screen of what you're working on. Uh, Amos prefers something like Tmux, where it's just a terminal that two people are sharing. Um, there's a free service called Teammate, T-M-A-T-E, uh, which does that for you, automates the process of connecting two people um, to a single terminal screen. Which works well it, it uses Tmux. Yeah. So which that works really well if you're um, using Vim or Emacs, but probably not very well if you're using anything else. Um, Screen Hero is the best thing I've seen um, if you're using something else and it lets you both see the same screen and have two different uh, mouse pointers. You could use Nano. I mean, I know that Nano is like a Craig favorite editor. Uh, it's not a Craig favorite. <laughs> it's just um, convenient and easy to get out of. There's also something called Team Viewer, I think. There's yeah. another one like, screen, like Screen Hero. So the problem with Screen Hero is they got bought by Slack. <laughs> and you have to be in Slack to do it. Oh, I didn't know that. And I think you might have to have a paid Slack. I'm not sure about that one. Slack is owned by Atlassian, correct? No. No. HipChat is owned by Atlassian. Oh, Jira and HipChat. Okay. Yeah, so Slack is its own thing. Um, yeah, I, if you are embarrassed to be on video because you didn't get up and shower early enough in the morning, get up 20 minutes earlier and take a shower and get on video because it's really that important. And the, your, your team's success and your career can, can really be highly impacted by your ability to connect with other people on more than an audio level. Are you finding that people are embarrassed to be on video? Yes. I mean, that's like... It, then you, you shouldn't ever leave the house either. I don't. Mm. I don't. Basically, know. they feel weird because if they don't have two monitors, they're not always seeing you, so they feel like they're being watched. Or um, the other thing that I've gotten is like if I have to share my screen because I usually share a terminal to write code, but if I'm working on a hard app or a website that's not running in the terminal, then if we want to test it, we usually test it on a browser, and I'll share my screen. While my screen is being shared, you can't normally see my face. So, back to the showering thing. Even if you're not on video, shower. If you're working from home, shower. Because you'll feel like you need to keep... That's one of the ways to keep the separation between work hours and non-work hours. Like, if I'm work hours, I should be showered. Um, and having a, a separate space is also important if you're working from home. That's almost a topic in itself, too, is that... If you're working remote, how do you separate that? Like, I rent an office because I can't work remote. First of all, I live in the middle of the country. My internet's not great. But other than that, when I do work from home, I get very sidetracked by, oh, let me do these dishes real quick. Right. Or, or somebody, 
I hear my wife in the other room, and I want to just go ask her a question, and then I end up in there for 15 minutes. And that's, those aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but it is important to establish boundaries, and I think it's a good time to get back to that about the boundaries, uh, especially in relationship to your work-life balance. So Craig was mentioning about showering. You guys mentioned showering. I also know a guy who, who knows another guy. Everything tastes good, Very good. Thanks a lot. And <clears throat> so this guy, he would actually dress formally when he would work at home. He put on a, a pair of slacks, collared shirt. Every once in a while, he'd put on a tie. And he'd go into his, his home office and he'd work. And it was just, it provided him that, that separation of, I am now at work. I put my clothes on, I'm at work. You know. But I... What about setting boundaries? So you guys mentioned, especially with the, the time zone stuff, Amos, how you might get calls after what you would have considered your quitting time, right? And people are calling you up because they're still working for two hours or maybe longer, depending on... I mean, you can be as many as... Within the continental United States, you can be as much as three hours apart, right? If somebody's on the East Coast and somebody else is on the West Coast, if you go all the way to Hawaii, what is that? That's like if East Coast to... To Hawaii is like five hours difference, five or six, six depending on I, uh, daylight savings. Yeah, I, I try to be really open to the fact that people are still working, and I don't want them to stop working. Like if they need me, call me. Um, so, so I, I encourage you to try to be open during those hours to a couple phone calls and be okay with it. I mean, if it gets excessive, you might have to set some more boundaries, and if you can't be. Uh, one thing that I found to be really works really well is for an hour after I leave, you can call me for something and I will be there. Um, and I will make it a priority when you call. And the reason why that hour is because you can leave and 10 minutes later, somebody needs something from you. But after an hour, it's like, Hey, you're kind of on your own. Does, Does it matter as far as that after your work hours, being called, does it matter if you're a consultant or a direct employee? Would you be more lenient as a consultant than as an employee, or mm. vice versa? I would probably be more lenient as a consultant. Because you, um, you, you can build for the hour. Well, I, I build weekly, so... But the, but the big shot. He's a big shot. I right? know. I, I build by the hour. I'd be happy to take an extra hour. Um, Maybe not happy, but more likely to take it as a consultant that can build for that hour. Well, for me, I feel like my job as a consultant is well. Even if you're not a consultant, it, you shouldn't treat these a whole lot differently. If your job is to provide sure. value to a company, then you should provide the value that they expect of you, and then some. My dad once told me, if somebody pays you ten dollars an hour. You give them twenty dollars an hour worth of work. It was probably some of the best advice I ever got. And and I, I You're don't ripped off on that deal. Well, I, but you know what? If you give them twenty dollars an hour worth of work, and they're paying you ten dollars an hour, pretty soon they're paying you twenty. And then you give them forty. So pretty soon they're paying you forty. You have never worked for a capitalist, have you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it, if you're providing them that value, you're, no, it your dad, matter. your dad was a capitalist. He was the one hiring people. That's why he told you that. <laughs> I, but it, it worked out really well. Like, I took that to heart. I don't know why. A lot of advice he gave me, I didn't take to heart. But that one from day one, I took to heart. And it has served me very, very well throughout my career. Now, sometimes I admit that, you know, I've had a bad day. 
and I don't give them double what they ask for. And the more you make, the harder it is to give them double the value. But I, I think the sentiment there is that you give them as much as you can give them and more than what they're paying you for. Because they want to keep you around longer. And so ultimately, you're investing in your future, whether it's at that company or the next one. Because they're going to to speak highly of you. And your team will love it if you give Financially, if they're paying you $10 an hour and you're only contributing $10 an hour to the company, they're losing money. Right. They have all the overhead they have to pay. So you do need to bribe, you know, more than... Especially if you're an employee. What's really interesting, I think, about this concept, and this is probably a whole show on its own as well, is that people forget... I just had this conversation the other day with some folks about providing value. And most of the time, MBAs, managers, they think about the value you provide in the number of hours your butt is in a seat. So the only way in their mind you could really provide double the value is to be, is for your butt to be in that seat double the amount of time. Which is why I started charging weekly. Is because they don't even think about that anymore. And I've actually had them, people that I work with ask me how many hours I worked last week. I'm like, I, I just don't provide. I don't know. I didn't track it. 32, 35, I don't know. People were worried about how many hours has so-and-so been at work. I'm like, I don't really care how many hours that person's been at work because they're producing what we need them to produce and they're providing the value we need them to provide. To me, it's not a matter of hours. To me, that's weird because if you get paid hourly, the cost is related to how many hours you were there, but the value is not necessarily related to that. That's right. So why would that? That seems that's like why they're I, thinking wrong. That's why I moved weekly, is because I'm trying to change the way people are thinking about that. And really, the thing is, if if again, if they're paying you ten dollars an hour, or let's say equivalent to ten dollars an hour, and and so they're thinking in hours, yeah, and you were there seven hours, nobody's going to question how long you were there if you were giving them twenty twenty dollars an hour worth of work. So that's really weird because that means they don't know how to measure your value. It is really weird, and you're right, Craig. They don't know how to measure. They don't know. They don't know a better way to measure value. But that's their whole job. Like, how do they know if I'm worth it if they can't know how to measure my value? That's bizarre. How do you think they know? How would you do it if you were them? I think they would probably guess. Well, how would they you do, do it though? It's actually hard to measure value, especially on smaller time scales. Which mm-hmm. is why you don't measure on tire smaller time scales, which is why Amos bills by the week. And even probably that, too granular still too granular. Even, yeah, I was gonna say even that sometimes is is too granular because you know, especially at the beginning of joining a project is you're still learning. So at the beginning of the project it's hard to measure your value because you can't get in my head and realize what I'm figuring out. So months, let's start talking about value. So hopefully your product is making money, or at least revenue, and you can measure that revenue, and hopefully that revenue is increasing. The, the, 
where things get so you can take a look at that increase in revenue and judge whether what you're spending on development is paying off or not. Um, or at least, you know, if you have enough money to continue paying them. Um, but the tricky part is, how do you measure Amos's productivity or contribution to that increase versus my contribution to that increase? Or, and that's almost impossible. Right, because my increase... People have tried that with lines of code, right? He produced so many lines of code, or he he that's, released that's so many revenue. features. I was talking about revenue. But stories, stories, stories. Let's say even if we go to stories, what if I never actually push a story, but because of me being there, the team pushes five more stories a week? Right. I I'm usually the it's guy not that's visible, pairing. So you let me go. Right. I'm usually the guy that's pairing with everyone else on the stories that they've picked and started on. I end up doing a lot of code review. And making code improvements in code review in order to get things across the line. Or fixing things that maybe QA finds. Like, hey, we missed a test case here. So it's really squishy. Yeah, it's hard to nail down. It's like nailing jello. The teammates generally have a good, I think, have a good feel for who's making those contributions. It's, it's hard. I'm sure there's some biases there, though, that are problematic. There are. There's some, some, well, this guy is my friend bias that end up there. Or, that, or I don't like this person that yeah, bias. Like if you ask me and I don't like somebody, if they're giving a lot, I might rate them a little bit because of personal things. But I would say frequently, especially if you're pairing, um, everyone on the team starts to recognize and who who is contributing and who is not. And if everybody contributes in different ways. Yes, if you're pair switching. And then you may say, well, Craig never makes a commit, but without Craig's contributions, I would never make a commit. This AgileLife.com. Before we go on, let me tell you about our sponsor. Agile Dev East is the premier industry event covering the latest techniques and topics in the Agile universe. Learn both foundational knowledge and new methodologies to develop skills, supercharge knowledge, and re-energize your career growth. This year's event will take place November 13th through the 18th in Orlando, Florida. As an added bonus, the event is co-located with Better Software and DevOps East conferences. Your one registration automatically gives you access to all three programs. This means you can choose from over 100 learning and networking opportunities to build a customized week of learning that fits you and your organization's specific needs. Explore the program at adceast.techwell.com. Also, don't miss the Agile Leadership Summit at the end of the conference. The summit is a full day of in-depth discussion about increasing leadership mastery with the opportunity to learn new ways to challenge your personal leadership growth and to lead in your organizational challenges. This Agile Life listeners receive an exclusive discount of up to $600 off with code AGILELIFE when they register by the September 16th Super Early Bird deadline at adceast.techwell.com. This AgileLife.com. So when you have when you're in a situation where it's squishy like that, I almost think that it's incumbent upon you as the individual to try and keep track of how you're providing value so that when you're asked, you can tell people concretely, 
here's how I provide value. I do these things, you know. And sometimes that's hard too, though. Like I provide advice to people on the team on on how to make things more maintainable or something like that. Is still whenever I think that advice and an advisory role is often devalued in, in a yeah. team environment. Of course. Um, now you know you they, you'll hire external coaches and things like that, and their job is to give advice. But most external most coaches that I know are contractors and are very short lived. They don't end up being there for very long. Where contracted developers end up being at places much longer than contracted coaches, and I think it's because that advice role is downplayed a lot. Now I do believe that if you can have somebody who's doing both development and coaching, that that they they give better advice anyway, right? And and they spread that advice out. It's not just in a in a here's what I think you should do, but here let's do this together. And so if you're coaching, find out some way to to do more than just advice. I'm a fan of toot your own horn, but just not too often. Sure, you have to be good at it almost. You have to I like be skilled at tooting your own horn. I like to also write down. Anytime I hear someone say like say something that seems like a major compliment, not a little one. I recently had a team that I was working with where the QA came and said, and in front of everybody in Slack, it wasn't like a private message, said, you have changed the way we communicate for the better. And that right there, to me, is the only thing that I need to take to my next contract negotiation. Oh. Is if I'm changing the way people are communicating for the better, I am changing your product. And that's you're changing the culture, <laughs> which might be scary to some people too. It's not necessarily about tooting your own horn, Craig. Maybe as much as it is just about um, being aware that it's hard. It's hard to demonstrate value, right, when you're doing things that are less concrete. And so you're just being prepared so that you have you have kind of a story to tell when somebody asks you, how is it you provide value? For I disagree. Don't wait to be asked. Okay? I'm not Still saying wait to be asked. Yes, yeah. I'm saying keep track of it. No. I'm saying, I'm saying about once a week, the person who's the decision maker on keeping you there should be aware of a, an accomplishment you made. So let's bring that back around to being remote, right? Is that you're talking about making people aware of the contribution that you're making. When you are remote, communication is more difficult. You have to communicate more. When you're local, the person who's deciding whether you're there might step by and walk by through the day and see the contribution that you're making. Right. You need to send an email every week at the end of the week saying, hey, here's what we did this week. Is this the direction that you want me to continue to go? How can I provide more value to you? Contractor or not, how can I provide value to the team? Um, and I, at the end of every day, say, what was the value that they wanted me to provide and what did I provide? And I kind of write that down. So at the end of the week, I can summarize that up in a, in a nicer package and pass that off. Yeah, I like I like that. And I I especially like the proactive approach to communicating what your value is rather, rather than waiting for it to be asked. I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get to the point of being the squeaky wheel, but you want to be have some visibility. It's 
it's hard. It's a hard balance, uh-huh. and it's also hard to even like I think about that frequently. And there are sometimes a month goes by, especially when I feel like I'm actually providing the most value, um, and we're just going, going, going on the project. I often forget to send that email. Yeah, even though it is in my plan, and even if I have a reminder set on my phone or my calendar to send that email, is that reminder pops up in the middle of me doing something that I find to be of more value to the client than sending them an email telling them what value I'm providing. It's, it's a good Friday afternoon activity. It is, unless your Friday afternoon is busy. That's what I mean. Like, I'm providing value. What are seen on Friday afternoon? I'll push off that reminder. I'll push off that reminder. I'll push off that reminder because we're working on something that's really important to the product or the team. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. we have a retro that went for a really long time. And then at the end of it, I'm so burnt out. My brain is fried. It's not a good time to send that email. And then I intend to send it later on in the afternoon or tomorrow or Monday, and I just, it just gets lost in the shuffle. If you're doing a good job of, of kind of proactively documenting as you think about things, oh, this was a way that I really was able to express the value that I provide throughout the week, then you can kind of have a compiled list, and maybe it, maybe it, it short shortens up the amount of time you need to sit down yeah, and write to that. Me, to me, it's almost a 15-minute personal weekly retro. I've done that on a few jobs, and then it was usually a Friday afternoon, you know, where things are kind of wrapped up. You don't want to start on a new thing. You don't want to deploy something Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um, you're probably uh, filling out your timesheet or something like that. That's a good time to review what you've done for the week. A right, moment of personal down. reflection. Yeah, reflect on what you've done. Think about what kind of value you've provided, and hopefully provide that to the manager or whoever's uh, in charge of keeping you around. That's, that feels like a status report. Um, status can yeah, be part actually, of it, but yeah. it's not fully a status report. And, and I only say that because I feel like some people are super, super opposed to sending like status reports. I'm not. I don't have a problem with it because of the reasons we've talked about here. I think it's, status it's, is where you're at, and this is more about what you accomplished. And it's... At, for the week. And, and I probably could have called it a status report, an and accom- I was fine with that. An accomplishment report. Yeah. yeah. Well, the hard thing is, is that sometimes, even if you are providing value, you have a week that goes by, or even a day, and you don't, you don't feel super accomplished. Like, maybe you struggle with some library, or they wanted you to add a new feature in some extremely coupled part of the code that has taken you a long time to do. And you feel like, I don't even want to send this to him. I don't want to send it to him and say, look, we didn't get anywhere on that feature this week other than we learned a little bit. But no code has been written or or, or something. Like, you just don't feel, yes, let, let me send that. But I think that's important and builds empathy, too, if you can provide that. If you don't try to say, look, but I still provide it up. Right. You just say, hey, look, this week we can get accomplished what we what we set out to here's what we learned it, it not only builds empathy but it does provide kind of a narrative around how the week has been going and, and what you've been experiencing and what the team has been struggling with yeah it's almost something that maybe teams should share not just with managers but with uh with themselves with the rest of the team. What bad idea. One thing that I like to share with the managers is uh, like at a retro, you know, we've talked about this in the past, is just having everybody on the team rate 1 to 10 
uh, their trust level in the team, how accomplished the team feels, and how happy they are yeah. as a team member. Uh, and, or the productivity, not the accomplished, but same thing. Right. And and give them a graph every week so they can see how that changes. Because I think that graph is very indicative of, of over time what's going on. The individual numbers every week don't mean a lot. Right. But if you look at that graph over time, if that graph is going up, your product is probably actually going up. And remember, if you have a new team, you're going to see dips and things like that when they're storming and, and they're not together. Right. But it'll go back up. Just That's why you got to give it time. It's the shape of the chart. It's not the, it's not the numbers itself. Right. Good point. I was thinking those weekly accomplishment reports, going and looking at those over time, too, might be rather interesting. Absolutely. At the beginning, you might have your, your accomplishments might be small. I made an impact on the story. As time goes by, you'll probably be more, making more of an impact on things like team communication, uh, improving processes, uh, improving like overall architectural things. Like your your changes will change in nature, like from smaller to larger things. They don't, I, I'm almost sorry, or I, I don't know if I'm sorry about it, but I wish, I, I, I long for maybe a, a tenant within Agile that was focused around sharing accomplishments on, a, on some sort of a cadence, or what would be the closest thing maybe that we... Well, it's a retrospective, but we focus retrospectives on what we're going to change more than what we have changed, I think, maybe. Yeah, right. I We have to do, like, warm fuzzies or something in a retro where we thank people and, and do yeah, point out their accomplishments. Yeah. You know, like a, That's a usually in the thing small a, more than in the large, though. A common thing in a retro, though, is is what went well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. You, you don't often say, hey, in the past two months, we've made this giant accomplishment. So, so two things. One... I think we focus just on a smaller segment of time from a week to two weeks, maybe three weeks, whereas what John's talking about is more of a month or multi-month length of time where you'd be looking at those accomplishments. The other thing is I've held what I called a positive-only retrospective where we didn't talk about things that needed changing. We've talked about only the things that have been going well, and we can you know focus on keeping doing those things well. Well, imagine if you went to a sporting event and people only like cheered or, or talked about what was what happened when you did something bad. And when you hit a home run or when you scored a touchdown or when you made a three-pointer, nobody cheered because they were just like, well, yeah, damn right. I expect you to make touchdowns. That's your job. I expect you to, to make baskets. I expect you to hit home runs, right? What I mean, that's kind of what we do. That would be a terrible feeling if... If you only ever got, it is a, as an athlete, you only ever heard when you did bad things. But right? I think you also need a cheer sometimes when you are doing bad. Both. Well, the retrospective is you're watering down my my metaphor. <laughs> you're ruining my metaphor. Your metaphor is valid, but when an athlete goes and retrospects on his own, not the audience, not the fans, he will think about what he did, positive and negative. Do you think athletes are afraid to be measured? 
Uh, I would say the modern athlete is measured so much that he knows how to use it. Or ignores it. No. If you're measured too much, I think you do start to ignore it. I've watched teams do that. They really are measured a ton more than ever before oh, yeah. nowadays, right? It's right. like every every swing of the bat, every every shot you take is measured. Everything is constantly measured. Like I, your your pitch, like where is your arm at every yeah. part of the delivery? Like it's it's digitized well, and right. analyzed and well, and there that analysis is really powerful. I mean, that's why we have better athletes than ever before in those And I think it's how you're being measured and what that measurement means. What does that measurement mean? Is that measurement after getting you better? And I think some of those things where you talked about, you know, every single moment of that arm swing are there to help figure out how to make you better. You know, we always say you measure what you want to improve, right? Or, or you, you can't manage what you don't measure and all of those things. And be careful of what you measure because it will drive behavior. Do you think that athletes being measured, like let baseball players being measured on strikeouts, does that drive behavior? Does that change the way a, an, a, an athlete, a batter walks up to the plate and... and no, 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 I guess the more fine grain, like... Where, how are you swinging the bat? Is more with it's going to improve their behavior, right? But not number of strikeouts. Not, strikeouts is they don't want to strike that. Strikeouts is the result. There's already a moment that feels good or doesn't feel good that you're after, and a sense of accomplishment that you're after. That measuring it doesn't. So you don't think a batter behaves different? Would behave differently if they weren't measured on strikeouts? I think the strikeout. Not to make this a baseball podcast, but. Sports on the TVs around here. I don't. It's a na- I disagree. I think the strikeouts is more of a result, and the behavior is how you're swinging the bat. I know you think that, but it's a measure. It's something that's being measured. Now, if I told you, Craig, that I was going to measure every time you hit the delete key, or every time you you messed up, or something, right? Would that would that you would if I told a team of developers I was going to measure every time they screwed up? I think that they would lose their shit. Oh, you're talking about just measuring strikeouts. Not just. But, but focusing on strikeouts. I'm talking about it's, it's a thing that is measured. And and I have a problem. This is way off the topic of We of we, we lost co-location a long time ago. <laughs> I have a problem with people constantly saying we don't we don't want to measure things because it affects behavior or because, you know. It can be gamed is usually the problem. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a measurement, make sure it can be gamed in the correct direction. Um, you don't want to somehow game it so they want more strikeouts, or or they want to get to deeper in the count. You know, if you're a baseball person, right? Like, oh, you know, he's he's really good with with a full count. Well, you'd rather not get to a full count, really. So we were really overdoing it with the sports metaphors, and that's my fault, and I apologize, but. Drawing it, what can we, can we, how can we, how can we kind of conclude this? How can we wrap up our thoughts on co-location and remote working? Craig, we'll start with you. Um, I think the important part is communication, and, and most of the things we've talked about were communication. The the video to have that nonverbal communication available. Um, the accomplishments reports to make sure that you're communicating. Because it's actually a serious problem when you're not in the office 
Management often thinks, well, they don't think about you. Not, not, it's not only what they think, it's the fact they're not even thinking about you. Um, so you have to counteract that. Um, and a lot of managers will think, because you're not in the office, you're not accomplishing things. When in fact, there's a lot of studies that show otherwise. Actually, the people that are working from home are actually accomplishing more because they don't have as much distractions from, from coworkers. Um, so keep in mind that communication and do what you can to ensure you are doing a good job at communicating. What do you think, Amos? How would you wrap this up? Uh, I don't know. We bounced around so much that if, if I'm only talking about the location, I, I would just echo a lot of what Craig said and, and make sure that when you are communicating, it's important that they see your face and you see theirs once in a while. That is, is a big step in the right direction. I, I think it's been an interesting lunch as we've talked about co-location. I hope our our lunchtime experiment has worked out well. If you have thoughts on co-location or remote work, go out to Twitter, send us a tweet over at, at This Agile Life. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you should join our private Slack channel community. We talk about this sort of thing all the time on there. You can uh, visit us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community to find out more about our, our private Slack channel and join us there. Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.